Guys, welcome back to another episode of the After Action Review. You know me, I'm Nick Guy, the world's most okayest Green Beret. And as per usual, we have a guest today who is more than okay. He's exceptional. Mr. George Hot is joining us, and he serves in what is unfortunately a bygone era. Uh, we as a nation tend to forget about the Vietnam War. It's still very much in our lexicon, in our, our textbooks and things like that, but we really did these men and women a disservice when they came home. And because of that, I don't think their stories were ever properly told and documented. So we're going to try to begin to rectify that um, by hearing a, a couple of veteran stories from Vietnam. Mr. Hot famously participated in the Battle of Way City, and he has an incredible story to tell. Sir, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So, real, real quick, just so that the audience knows, um, you, were in, you were in the Marine Corps for three years, correct? Correct. Okay, 67 to 70. And, and what was your MOS? 0351. Okay, and for the non-Marines watching, what is that? <laughs> that is an anti-assaultsman, which I was qualified with the machine gun, a 106 recoilless rifle. Uh, flamethrower. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two of them I never use. So. Okay. <laughs> and a what three point five rocket launcher, which I did get to use in Way City. Okay. Um, so real, real quick, before we go into your story, I have to know because definitely a bygone era of flamethrowers. I. Mm -hmm. I mean, how how awesome was was shooting one of those? Because I'd imagine that would be pretty, pretty, a uh, pretty cool and unique experience. I mean, was there like a lot of heat coming back from you? Oh, you oh yeah, you you definitely had to make sure which way the wind was blowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the consequences are a little more grievous than just uh, pissing into the wind, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You could roast your chestnuts real quick. <laughs> oh, man. So def definitely a bygone era, like I said. But because of that, we have – I think we have really missed out on on documenting and listening to to the veterans of those times' story. So I just want you to, to kick it off right from the beginning. Um, and your story begins with the – with the infill into Way City, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, going, going into Way, um, we had absolutely no idea what we were getting into. Um, we were supposed to ground our gear, get on the trucks, and 12 hours we'd be back to pick up our stuff. 12 hours ended up turning into 31 days. We, we got into the city, started taking fire, started taking a tremendous amount of fire. We hopped off of the trucks, started returning fire. For us, it was one of many 
frontal assaults that we would end up having to make into the fire to get to the buildings where the fire was coming from. And as we were advancing across the street, on my right flank, there was a Arvin tank, a South Vietnamese tank that had been taken out probably by a recoilless rifle. There was two Arvin soldiers out of the turret still smoldering. And then at that point, you know, we, we knew that we had run into some major, major stuff. We eliminated our first resistance and we started to go to our right and pick up one one whom we came in, you know, as as a reaction force because they had said they were pinned down. And as we're going through, we started picking up their dead, their wounded. We got to one point and we found our company commander all shot up, laying in a Constantina wire. Looked like he had been bleeding for a long time, with just a pool of blood underneath him. And our company commander went up to him, and his only concern was us saving his Marines. So our company commander sent a platoon in the direction of fire we were hearing. We hooked up with Alpha 1-1 in a rice paddy. The point when we got there, um, somebody had given the order for him to take and get up and charge. So we got up and we went with them. There must have been 330 calibers in front of us, firing on to us, and get the running in the stinking mud halfway up your shin, just saps your energy. You just feel the veins popping out in your neck, you know, and people going down all around you. And you just have to take and keep going until we got to the point where we actually eliminated them. When we got to that point, then our main objective was to get into the MACV compound. We got there and a quarter of a mile from where we first entered the city to the MACV compound. It took us about three hours to fight our way that quarter of a mile. Hmm. 
we got there and we were there for a couple hours when we got orders to take and go across this bridge perfume river and bring back a South Vietnamese general started across the bridge we went went over with 150 marines we got a little beyond the crest of the bridge 30 caliber started opening up on us from the other side rounds just ricocheting all all in the girders and um, people getting getting hit once again, we run at the 30 caliber and my best friend was the first gun up going across. And when the call went out for guns up, he, he was running across to get, to get set up. I was not far behind him and it just got ripped in half. I mean, that 30 caliber just, just, just about tore him in half. I mean, you just see the green tracers going through him. Guy in front of me, he pulled out a couple grenades, took off running to the bunker, threw the grenades in, eliminated eliminated the machine gun and made a left hand turn went down the street river was on our left flank to where the gate was supposed to be to get herself set up to take and go in there and what we thought before was a vast amount of fire was absolutely nothing compared to what we encountered there. There was a 50 caliber machine gun in the tower on our left flank. There was a 30 caliber on our right flank. We had I don't know how many people firing at us from on top of the wall, light machine guns, regular. I just, we just, we were just getting chewed up. We were firing back and it's just like we were shooting paintballs at, at this huge structure. We, uh, probably 45 minutes or so and I mean, just Marines scattered all over the street, dead, wounded, severely wounded. We ran out of ammunition. And the scariest damn thing when you're in a firefight, not being able to defend yourself. I mean, we just 
we just kind of looked around and just wondered, you know, when are they going to come out and finish us, you know? They got to know we're not firing back. How, how long, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, how long? Yeah, how, how long were you in the city at this point when you went black on ammo? I understand that they-, they Eight, nine hours. That, okay. So it was, yeah. it, was gonna, it was supposed to be a 12 hour mission. Yeah. We didn't, what? we didn't bring any, any, our patch, any extra ammunition or anything, you know, just supposed to be a piece of cake. What, what was the, I, and before I, you know, before we go back to, to your story, what, what was the objective of taking Way City? Was there, was it a, why was it of strategic importance? Or was that relayed to you guys? Uh, no, no, we had, we had absolutely no intelligence and this, the city had never, had never absolutely been touched by the war until that point. Uh, it was, it was the social hub more or less of, uh, Vietnam. And, uh, a lot of cultural value. It was one of the provincial capitals, which was a detriment to us too, because we we asked for artillery support, we asked for air support, asked for any support that we could get, and it was denied. And it was because of the historic value they didn't they didn't want to destroy the city. Okay. So it, from from the get go, you guys were already handcuffed. Absolutely. Okay. So well, we didn't know that until we were in and asked for asked for to help initially when we started. You know, we first come under fire, and I don't know if. Alpha One One had asked for any support other than us getting sent there. Wow. Yeah. All right. So Mur Murphy's already at work. Just eight nine hours in. All right. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just I kind of had those questions in the back of my mind. So mm -hmm. you you guys not eight nine hours into this op and you're black on ammo. I mean, what, yes. what are you guys doing next? Well, sitting there wondering how you're going to die. Good God. You know, 19 years old, and that's your, that's your thinking, you know. Power, how are you going to die? I mean, I had, I had a 45, you know, maybe 20 rounds of ammunition. You know, but yeah, and fortunately, someone come from the other side at a truck, one of the six buys, and there was a 50 caliber on it, and he started opening up on the wall, diverted their attention enough that we could grab our dead, our wounded, and get the hell out of there. We lost a third of our company. Yeah. And 
the guy to, the guy to come across had actually disobeyed an order. He was, they were told to stand down. The, and, the, the, the guys in the truck with the 50? Yeah. They yeah. were told to stand down. They were told to stand down. He was a gunny and he, uh, he wasn't having that. I mean, he, he come over and, you know, like I said, and then we had let squad back at the bridge to secure it and they hot wired some vehicles. And I mean, just, we were able to get the guys loaded up and everything. And we started going back across the bridge. I had one of my guys in the fireman carry he had been shot five times and we're probably halfway across the bridge and they opened up with a recoilless rifle and hit one of them butt buttons. The damn bridge started shaking. We thought we was all going to go in the river. You know, fortunately, made it. And then we got back and we got re-ammoed and everything in the MACB compound. And then we were supposed to go out at 2000 to pick up some CIA agents that were stuck there, or civilian operatives as they referred to them. And about 1930, the North Vietnamese did us a favor and started opening up on the compound. So we ended up fighting out of the compound that night into the next morning. And uh, if we had have went out that night, we would have would have probably lost more people than we have ever chose to want to lose. And then from there, it didn't get much better. Uh, we had certain objectives and our first objective was the university, which was 200 yards, two football fields away from the MACB compound. It took us three days to take and get to the university, fighting across the streets. Um, you would have either a 50 or a 30 caliber that was firing on your flanks and you just have to take and run across the streets to stinking buildings and try and establish a foothold. We're running four-man teams and go as far as, far as you could until you ended up having to take and pick up. You guys got wounded or got killed and get them back and then the next team done the same thing. It's a, 
was just totally unreal. And then we finally got to the university and it was a big open courtyard and there was one way in through the courtyard and it was it was probably well the university was a city block and within that courtyard you could see the dead civilians laying all through it uh, there was benches and little trees we had to take and sprint across this courtyard to, you know, our points of entry. And they'd done the normal, they threw smoke. We took off 50 caliber in the tower down at the other end, started opening up. You could hear, you could hear the Marines getting hit, crying out. You could hear the stuff around you just blowing up. You could hear the rounds as they exploded by you. Didn't crack like the regular round. They exploded by you. I got to my entry point ahead three-man team and a four-man fire team. I took 60 and opened up on the glass doors, blew, blew the glass out of them. We run right in. <clears throat> as soon as I got in, I had four NBA coming at me. I opened up and killed them. Make it right to go down a corridor to start our sweep through six more come down the hallway at me i opened up and i killed them i had a bunch of bunch of shit in me my a gunner got grazed on one shoulder and right on the inner thigh and then from there was just going through room by room in the university and clearing it out. Much like the guys in Fallujah had to do with the city. And after you're in a building for a while and you're engaged in these firefights that just seem to go on and on. You start losing your hearing from the sound. The gun smoke just gets up in your nose and your eyes and feels like your nose is on fire. And then you just persevere through it. it took us 12 hours to take and clear out the university. They figured that we killed somewhere close to a thousand 
NVA. I think we lost 35, 40 Marines, not counting the wounded. And it was, it just nightmarish because you're, you're in such close quarters and you can't communicate. I know we got to one of the upper levels and was going through and one of my ammo guys turned on me with his weapon. I dropped to my knees. I seen his muzzle flash two times. A rifle and bayonet come down past my left shoulder. Body hit me on the left side. I jumped up, but there wasn't left anything of him. He put put two rounds right in his head. I mean, it just and there's nothing that you can do but look at him, you know, and then you have to move on. I mean, it just, it was just the most brutal and nightmarish and bloody form of combat that you could ever, you could ever get yourself into. And very fortunate to make it out alive and, and go ahead you know i thank god every day <laughs> so if i'm <clears throat> if i'm doing the math correctly this is all within the first 96 hours of the yes. battle of Voice city so first day, initial contact, no intel saying that, that the NVA had dug in. And, it's, and, it's, and it sounds like they did, a, from their perspective, an incredible job of developing things like overlapping fields of fire, establishing kill boxes. Like, th they were ready for you guys in the city. They... Well, I didn't know it then, but they mocked up the battle. They had every building plotted. And, you know, they had people within the city already, you know, to implement the plan. And when we went, we went in uh, with Alpha and with my company, Gulf 2-5. There was a total of about 300 Marines. There was a reinforced division within the city. They had two regiments in the reserve in the hills. So we were, we were very vastly outnumbered, outweaponed, which that was the first time I had ever run into that in Vietnam that we didn't have fire superiority and for the first five days before they lifted the rules of engagement you know we were just 
we were just going with with our rifles and you know that that was it we couldn't use artillery planes planes couldn't fly because it was at the end of a typhoon and it would just socked in and uh, it was it was the fifth or the sixth before they finally relaxed us relaxed it and let us let us use some mortars you know it like, like it just was, just like company organic mortars yeah like, yeah. yeah and the quarters were so tight you know that artillery would have probably taken more of us out than them uh, especially you know the big guns firing offshore in but uh, no it it was nightmares for sure I, I I'm gonna be honest with you sir that is the most hellish 96 hours I've ever heard in my life so initial initial entry massive resistance you you rond at the macv compound yes you didn't go out that night because the the they Viet brought Cong, because they they attacked you guys right and they thus brought probably it saved us. your life yeah. absolutely then it took two days to move 200 yards Yes, through the city. Two, uh, that's uh, incredible and ridiculous number all at the same time. You get to the you get to the university, which is only a city block sized, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you experience a full day of close quarters combat within the university. Yes. And that was four days. Yeah. That's then, go ahead, please. And then from there we went and had to take and go to the prison from the prison, which took a day. Then we went to this large hospital complex, which took us two days to take and clear out so it's every every everything took a vast amount of time because going into rooms you i mean any place that you think a human could hide you would have to take and look secure and then move at, at this time was was the company receiving any reinforcements? I mean, you guys were down at a minimum 30 Marines. We, oh gosh, uh, Alpha 1-1 was at about 68% casualty rate dead. Oh. For the battle, they would be at 135%. My unit for the battle was at 132%. Uh, by the time we got done in the university and started moving, uh, 
on the prison and on the hospital, I would say that we had probably lost about 65 to 70 percent of our company. We didn't start getting any replacements in until February 9th. And which is how, how many days into the battle was that? 10 days. January 31st, 1968 was the first day. And that was 70, 75 that come in because uh, we had lost our platoon commander. So the lieutenant was coming in with uh, these other guys, took over the platoon my platoon and um, I think at about that point we had about 19, 19 men out of a out of a 50 man platoon so that's in just put things in perspective for anybody listening those those types of casualty numbers, a, a third of your casualties would have rendered a company combat ineffective. Combat ineffective nowadays. Just pull back. You, you don't meet the – first off, you guys didn't even come close to meeting the current engagement ratios that the DOD employs. Um, you guys were obviously outnumbered and outgunned with an enemy that had thoroughly prepared their battle space. But once you guys started taking those casualties, I mean, was it, is it safe to assume you guys were just committed at this point? You, you didn't want to pull units back because the second that you had, you would have, I mean, would you have lost that? Would you have lost that ground? I, I guess that's my, my underlying question. We were, we were more or less losing it as as we went along. They were backfilling in back of us. Uh, so yeah, it's just we were at a point where we couldn't do anything but fight forward and take care of take care of the flank at the same time. Second uh, of February, we got. We got a company that came in. Well, that, on your replacements, but uh, the comp we had uh, Fox Two Five come in, and then Hotel Two Five come in, and by the time they come in with the full companies, uh, we probably had four hundred and fifty five hundred Marines on the ground there. Within a couple of days, Fox and Hotel, their casualties started catching up with us. And uh, they went through in, in the hotel, well, Gulf and Hotel companies were the ones that were responsible for the university. And it just, you know, you you fought for your survival. You fought, you know, for 
the Marine on your left and on your right. And you just, you just fought through, you know, you, you really didn't give much thought to it other than, you know, don't let me be next. Ethos kind of goes out the window. Isn't it funny how that happens? Yeah. Ethos leaves. It's fleeting. But what replaces it is it's you and the guy to the left and right of you. Yeah. That being said, I mean, Way City is, you know, Fallujah was terrible. It was, it, it, you know, it's, Fallujah is known house to house, but it was well documented. Way City continues to be the example of military operations in urban terrain within the military side of the house. But I don't think that that the civilian side has ever heard the story. And I have never heard a personal story from the ground. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. And that's coming from somebody in the military, somebody that that considers himself somewhat (sighs) well-read. You had... I mean, we're we're looking at nine days, nine days of fighting. And you guys went in how many, initially two companies, that was it? Yes. Two companies to to take a city. Yeah. Why, why wasn't, why wasn't intelligence, did, did Intel drop the ball? Was it, was it a, was it a command failure of sending like an entire battalion to take a, a city that was obviously reinforced? I mean. So, I mean, I know you're speculating, but what do you think happened there? Uh, there was no intelligence, and which is, which is strange in itself because, you know, I've, I've studied this thing every which way since, you know, I got home. And it was the whole country. It wasn't just way city every big city every little small hamlet uh, but way was their key they thought that if if they took and controlled way and they bled us to death you know that it would turn the people into their favorite and suppress the you know, suppress the invaders. And uh, it it worked for them on a propaganda scale because uh, with what was coming back to the people in the United States, you know, on tapes at the dinner hour, showing all the carnage, showing, you know, bodies of, Americans laying in the street, you know, seeing pools of blood, seeing civilians around dead, you know, the enemy dead. Uh, it, it quickly turned the war and the propaganda machine 
at home. And it was probably the downfall of President Johnson because uh, Walter Cronkite went on TV and said that it was an unwinnable war. And shortly after that, Johnson said that he wouldn't run for president. He wouldn't accept his party's nomination if he was nominated. So from that perspective, it was very efficient. And, um, you know, that, that part we couldn't have anything to do with, but uh, you'd think that with the hundreds of thousands of troops that they moved from North Vietnam clean down to the lower end of Vietnam and South Vietnam, Saigon in that, that somebody could have accidentally seen that. I mean, I know we don't have, then didn't have the eyes in the sky, but, you know, we had recon out there. We had, you know, uh, other forces out there, MARPs and such that, you know, you'd think that somebody accidentally would have, you know, stumbled upon that many people moving. And yeah, it was, it was through other countries, you know, Laos and Cambodia, but, you know, still. So what, what actually went wrong or what didn't get conveyed, you know, was, was something else, but, you know, their, their resolve to, you know, be more friendly to the city than us, you know, wasn't the best of things. And I know that uh, troops run into it in Iraq too, you know, there's certain places that you couldn't go, certain, certain places you couldn't discharge your weapon and, you know, and unfortunately war doesn't change. <laughs> no, and, no, I, truer words have never been spoken, but I think, I think Way City kind of stands alone just because it was just two companies. Operation Phantom Fury was a massive operation. Um, and, and it is, it's rare nowadays, you know, that, that those massive urban campaigns, um, that, that's, that wasn't even my war. My war came later. It was Syria. It wasn't really a, a, an urban environment. So it kind of, it, it maintains, I don't want to say a novel status, but it maintains a unique status. Um, urban combat is nasty. Everybody knows that. And, and, you know, we've all read the, the accounts from Fallujah. We've all read the accounts from Baghdad. But way, I think, because there's, because there's still a lot of mystery surrounding it. And it's, it's not because nobody has recorded it. It just hasn't been properly conveyed, um, which was the whole reason I wanted you on here was because, you know, that's, it, that's an, it's an, it's an incredible story. That's a totally unique story. I mean, the, the, 
invasion of the city started with two companies and both companies lost half, half of those, half of their men, you know, who, who is going to tell that story other than you? Like that's where we are in, in coverage of that period of time. Yeah. It, it was very, very difficult the first time I tried to tell it, <laughs> but over five, six years that I've been doing it, I don't want to say it gets any easier, uh, but it gets slower in my head, you know, the details flashing. You know, and I, I did an interview for USA Today for one of their publications and uh, talking about the mental aspects of it, you know, and I kind of like, your mind's on a super highway and you're on a rural road trying to filter it all out. And uh, it, uh, that process has slowed down, you know. I mean, the pictures, the memories matter there and always going to be there. And, you know, it's just, I probably survived to take and do this. You know, that's the only thing that I could ever think of because it wasn't that I was any bigger, stronger, faster, or smarter than anybody else. It somebody watched over me. Oh, somebody had to tell the story. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that. And there aren't that many of us left now. No, that's why, that's why this is so important. Honestly, it, 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 it is, it's something that's glossed over in our education system. It's, if it rates a couple of days, it rates a couple of days, but I don't, I mean, I don't know if it was because of, the the public's opinion of the war that even though that was past behavior it just it seemed to dictate it, uh, our understanding of that entire period yes that, like we couldn't we couldn't shake the stench of that shame and i don't know if it was because we were we are embarrassed at the way we behaved as a nation that we just kind of brush it aside or if, if, if it's something else, but I don't know what it is. Um, I, I know I, I went back to Vietnam for the 50th anniversary of the battle because I knew that there was nothing going to be done in this country for it. Uh, you know, so me and a bunch of the guys that fought there went back for the 50th anniversary we actually got a very warm reception because their 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 part was celebrating their fiftieth year of it too, and uh, people there just treated us like gold. You know, they they didn't refer to it as the Vietnam War; it's the American War. So, but 
and there's very few people in Vietnam my age, especially in the South. You know, either when communists took over and they killed them and turned them or whatever, but you see very, very few people in their 70s until you get up north in Hanoi and that. I mean, I, what, what do you say to that? I mean, I mean, I think there's, there's always that, that mutual respect of a, of a past foe of mm-hmm. you returning just to pay tribute. Um, the fact that, you know, 50 years on, we can't remember one of the, you know, the, the bloodiest 48 or 72 hour period in the, you know, the United States military and, you know, outside of certain choice events. Again, I don't, I don't know what it is that we just continually fail in, in honoring those. But at, at the end of the day, it's an important story to tell. And I cannot thank you enough for telling it. That was hands down the most harrowing tale I've ever heard out of the Vietnam War. And I've, as I've moved forward and I've started to, to reach out to other Vietnam vets, including others that I, I know, out, you know outside of what I do here, I've heard stories kind of, you know, throughout the years, but I've never heard an in-depth explanation of what happened. And, and that's what we need to know. That's what we need to hear at this point. So I, I cannot thank you enough because you're, you're not only you doing us a service, but you're doing the, you know, the Marines who died in Way City, a, a huge service. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. It's, it's great being on with you. It was. Mr. Hot, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. I can't thank you enough for sharing that story. And if I could say one thing, I would say welcome home. Thank you. Take care, sir. Thank you. <laughs>